you mentioned candidate communication, which is something you are exceptional at to the point that people that you like reject working here are still like super fans and follow along with what we do. So um, blanket question, but how the heck do you do that? First of all, put yourself in the candidate's shoes. We've all been in a position where we want that job. We're really excited about it. Or unfortunately, maybe we've been laid off and we don't know where our next paycheck is going to come from. That's stressful. And you're putting yourself out there to get the job. It is a courtesy and it should be a norm that recruiters are also being on top of that timeline. What's up, everyone? I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Organize Chaos. As always, we're taking a page from a different leader's playbook so you can put it in yours as you build your own. And you just heard from Sasha, Chelsea, and Marlo, three awesome members of our people operations team here at Trainual. This episode is all about people operations for SMBs and the four stages of growing your people ops team. Now, maybe that just starts with you as the founder, but as you grow a business, you then start to lean on other people. Maybe it's an office manager, an assistant, a director of operations, somebody that helps you wrap your arms around the structure of the business and train the new people that are coming in. And as your business grows more, maybe you bring on that first HR person or people operations person. And then eventually they build out their team with all the different functions. So this was a really fun conversation where we dug into the three different people, four including me, who have held those roles so far at Trainual over the last four or five years. And we broke down each stage, the things that we were good at, the things that we were not so good at, and the things that maybe you should be thinking about in your business as you grow to develop an incredible employee experience. So enjoy, dig in, and hear our story for how we've grown people ops at Trainual. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Organize Chaos. I'm your host, Chris Ronzio, and today we have a special group of people here with me. They're actually three of the all-star, all-star, all-stars from inside the walls at Trainual. We've got, I'm kind of reading around the circle as I'm looking at you, uh, Sasha Robinson. We've got Marlo Everett and Chelsea Crisset. Welcome, everybody. Woo, woo. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. All right. So to set this conversation up, uh, we decided to have this chat because we got this listener question that was asking about what I recommended for HR in startups, people operations, whatever you want to call it. And so we started having this kind of dialogue around, well, what does people ops or HR look like at different stages of a business? And as I thought back to our experience with Trainual, it went from me being the person doing the, the, the HR and hiring and people ops and everyone reporting to me. And then it went into this stage where we had Chelsea as, as an operations manager and, and kind of handling the operations in the business. And she took some of that off my plate. And then Sasha, you came in as kind of the first people ops leader in this function. And then as we've grown that team, now we've got Marlo that's taken on a much bigger role with recruiting and hiring and performance management. And so through each stage of Trainual, 
each of you and me, I guess, have held the the, the seat, right? In the, the people ops HR seat. And I thought it'd be such a cool conversation for us to have just uh, talking through those stages. And hopefully everyone that's listening can get a ton out of that. So you're all nodding, but I would love you all to introduce yourselves very briefly just to kick this off. And so why don't we go in order? If you could just tell yourselves uh, or to tell the listeners uh, when you started with Trainual, what your role has been first within this HR world and then today. So why don't we start with Chelsea? You were here first. Sure. So I'm Chelsea. I was, as Chris said, the first employee here at Trainual, And I've been working alongside Chris for six years now, four of those since we launched Trainual back in 2018. And I've worn several hats along the way, including operations manager slash HR slash office manager, uh, head of CX, I helped build the foundation of our CX and sales team, chief of staff, and then more recently, special operations, where I work cross-departmentally on a lot of different innovative ideas. Amazing. So many hats. You, your closet must be just full of hats. So full. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sasha, how about you? Yeah, so I'm Sasha Robinson. I'm our head of people ops. I joined as our 15th employee over three years ago. I was our first person in people operations. So I was very fortunate to have an incredible foundation already from both Chris and Chelsea. So I came into like a really luxurious situation. Um, but my job then was everything from recruiter to benefits administrator to events planner, um, designing our comp and performance strategy and trying to stay sane through that process. And then as the business has matured and we've been able to bring on more folks to the team, including Marlo, um, I've been able to focus on different things. So nowadays um, I'm running a team of three. I am focused on how do we continue to scale our incredible culture now that we're just about 100 employees um, and ensuring that we keep the, the trains running. The trains running. The trains at Trainual. All right. <laughs> and one of the passengers on the train, Marlo, uh, you came in. How how big was the company when you started? Oh, wow. So I was employee number 40 in November of 2020. So things have changed quite a bit here. And my role has also evolved as the, the business needs uh, evolved and with the strengths they bring. So I started as a generalist helping with all things kind of events and employee experience and hiring. And as we needed to scale the team, I took on more of a hiring hat and now I'm the senior talent business partner. So all things hiring and then helping Sasha support our leadership team with performance management. Awesome. Well, I want to get into maybe at the end of the conversation, we'll circle back and, uh, you know, anybody that's ever applied to work at Trainual in the last couple of years has probably talked to you. And so you've had more Zoom calls, more phone calls than probably anyone here, probably more than our sales team, I would even venture to guess. And I want to know like some of the tips and tricks of like how to how to be awesome as a candidate through the process. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But that'll be like, you can think about that in the background. Um, but first, let's let's go through these stages. All right. So we'll start at the the owner phase at the beginning. And so Chelsea, you were here as person number one or two, if you include me, I guess. But even in those early days, when you were taking on some of the like, you know, administrative work around the business or some of the, the customer work and doing doing some customer support. Um, I was really the one at the beginning doing most of the interviews, right? But you were you were there with me. And so what do you think is important for the owner to do at the beginning of the business? When I interviewed you, what was important? How, how, how do you do a good job finding your first few people? 
I think one of the biggest things was just really setting expectations for culture. And I know we were super aligned the first time we ever met on, you know, what we wanted out of business, what we liked doing, what we didn't like doing. And when I started coming into interviews when we were super small, it was more of like a cultural screening. I was making sure that the people we were bringing on were good fits. They matched our core values um, and that they would be, you know, fit in really well with the team. Yeah, at the beginning, you kind of don't know what to do other than it's, I feel like I'm a terrible interviewer. Um, I, you're all better than me at this. I just kind of want to talk to people and find connections with them. And it's, it's almost like dating in a weird way. You're like a first date, which Sasha, you're like, no, I'm not dating all our employees. I understand. I'm not supposed to say that, but it is a little bit like you're sitting down and you're just trying to like build rapport with someone, right? And say like, can I, can I, um, see myself working with this person, but then you start to get into the skill set. And so are there, are there tips or tricks for somebody that's like a one, two person shop that's just trying to find those first few people? How do you do it right? Yeah. Another thing I would add into is going along with the core values. I think we are looking for people who are going to help us build the team. We wanted good leaders early on that would then hire good people to work under them. I think that's another really important part. So do do companies at that stage use any HR tools? I'm trying to think back. I don't I don't really think we had any. It was maybe like maybe like a project management system, something like that. We we had Breezy. Uh, oh, the applicant or, tracking uh, system. Yeah. 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 So, so that, that was, but that was a little later. That was like when, when you were more starting to get involved at the very beginning, when I found you, I had my email inbox. That was like oh, yeah, my, <laughs> my whole system. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think you're right at the beginning. It's at the owner stage. It's really just about finding those first few people that see the vision that are willing to take the risk that are willing to come on board that are willing to work for basically nothing. Um, shout out to you. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> for your flexibility. Um, I, uh, we were joking because you just passed your, uh, anniversary and your anniversary in our HR system was like the date you got health insurance, not the date you actually started. It was like the date we formalized it all, right? Yeah. I think I had a two-week trial period to make sure I was I was going to fit yeah. in. Yeah. Something like that. All right. So, but over time, after the first few, you know, the, the, the first year or something, you did take a more active role in starting to interview people and help people. So um, what was your role? You mentioned office manager, operations manager, like what was your core focus in those early days when you were taking a lot of this stuff off my plate? Yeah. So really, I mean, the biggest hat that I was wearing when we launched Trainual was running the CX and sales department. So starting to build out those functions, I don't think we technically brought anyone on until the end of our first year, but that was a really instrumental hire. We were getting to a point where we had so many, you know, inbound sales tickets that it was just impossible for one person to handle them. And then we started to bring on support reps as well. But I think that was the biggest, like I said, biggest thing I was doing at the company and helping to start scaling that. Yeah. And at that time, we didn't really have a ton of best practices. You know, we, when we found Sarah, who, who was, you know, our first salesperson here, uh, she was a very experienced sales rep and she taught us a lot of what we were supposed to do, you know? And it, it, I think, I think at the beginning, a lot of times you are hiring for that external experience to bring into the building because you don't, 
you don't really know what you don't know, right? Oh, totally. And I had never run a CX team before. It was all new to me. I've always been good at figuring things out, but we were definitely looking to hire people that knew it better than we did. And it's kind of like a weird feeling, but it's also something that you have to do because you'll never grow if you're not bringing on people that have more experience than you. Yeah. And we brought on Sean, who was like a learning and development experience, which we had nothing of. We brought on uh, Becky, who had like, they've been doing all the marketing coordination. And we brought on, slowly we started bringing on people that knew things that we did not know that could, you know, be, fill the gaps that we really just didn't know what we were doing. We did know how to do events though. We were good at that at the beginning. So that, that was definitely a, a, is that an HR function? Uh, uh, it's kind of right. Yeah. I mean, that's a people ups thing. And I, I, I always loved doing that at my previous job when I worked in marketing, I planned a lot of events for clients. So I was really good at getting a process down, coming up with fun ideas, And it was really cool to be able to set the foundation for that with such a small team. We did a lot of fun stuff. We went to spring training games. We went to a Sir Latob cooking class. We did a lot of different really fun things, hiking, um, everything. I got to plan our first retreat to Lake Tahoe back when the team had eight people, I think. And that was Alex's first day, one of our support reps. But lots of fun things early on. Yeah. And then, and then we also did set up the building blocks. Even at that stage, we set up things like, like our 401k and health insurance with a broker and basic payroll and HRIS system. We were using Gusto at the time. Uh, So we had a lot of those foundational things. I'm curious, Marlo, Sasha, do, do you think that we were like ahead of the curve in doing those things? Or by the time you have five or 10 people, should you have a lot of that foundation set up? Uh, I think that some of the stuff that you were doing was stage appropriate and some of it was pretty advanced. Um, I think it's pretty normal to have a payroll system when you have five or 10 employees and ensuring you have health coverage. I think 401ks are typically something that are brought on later as an added benefit. And when I joined the team and you were 15 employees, I was really impressed that you'd already had that established and baked that into the the cost for every employee because that was important to you. So I do think that um, Trainual, more so than any other place I've worked, kind of er, invested earlier in some of the, the people first initiatives or benefits for sure. Yeah, some of that came from the consulting work I was doing before where, you know, I would hear from employees of other companies that that the benefits they didn't have and that they wish they had. And so it became a goal of mine to provide those benefits because I knew if we if we could check this box and we can check this box and we could bring people on cool events and we can do a retreat and we can communicate like this, then um, each of those boxes that we check will avoid a pothole that I saw in the, the, (laughs) a different consulting place. Um, Chelsea, how, how, when, when I was delegating some of this to you, what do you think I was still the most involved with at, at, in those early couple of years? I would say hiring. I feel like you kind of handed over the reins with events and culture, those kind of things. Um, the office, I feel like you gave me total autonomy to run that. And I think we collaborated really well in a lot of the early policies and procedures that we had. There was a lot that we had to do kind of, re- you know, we were reactive with things. We, we didn't have a bereavement policy. We didn't have a sick leave policy. 
there was a lot that we had to work on together with that. But I think you always stayed really involved in the hiring process just to make sure that we had the right fit. Yeah, I, I remember hearing a podcast of uh, some some founder. It was like a Saster podcast, and they were saying that uh, the founder still did the interviews up until they're like five hundredth person or something, which I thought was like I didn't know if that should be a goal of mine or if that was absolutely insane. And I remember when we were getting to you know, like 10, 15 people right, right before Sasha came on, I was feeling like I'm getting to my max of doing interviews, you know, because every, every one of those people that you bring on, um, you're, you're probably interviewing like 20 times more people to get to that one person that you eventually get to, or, or maybe more than that. And it took up my entire week. You know, it's, it's hard to do that. And when you're trying to grow a business and you're really focused on, sales and marketing and are, are we growing our revenue? It's very hard to also be dedicating 20, 30, 40 hours a week to interviewing, but it's hard to let that go too. Yeah. And also I think back when we were really small, I think you got some pushback from people too, because we didn't have much of a team. We didn't have much of a product yet. And I know, I remember you getting a lot of questions from people like, well, tell me more. Like, oh, about like very to- unknown having to sell them on the journey. Oh, totally. Yeah. At that beginning uh, stage, you're right. It was, it was more of like a sales pitch to explain why somebody should choose Trainual because Trainual was an unknown product or whatever. And it was like, we didn't have all the PR at that time and we didn't have the funding at that time. And so hiring people was was uh, they were taking a big gamble. Everyone that was here before we raised any money for sure was like, um, well, this might be a fun project for a few weeks, but let's <laughs> let's try it out. So, Sasha, let's talk about when you started to sort of ease onto the scene. <laughs> ease onto the scene, <laughs> the eight month ease. <laughs> yeah, because before before you came on full time, which, like you mentioned, you were number fifteen. Uh, you recommended, I think, employee number nine and number 11. And you were like, you had this network of people uh, and you started sending people our way. So you were kind of doing like some side consulting and, and advisory work. So what was your perception of of the eight or nine employee trainual and, and why was it too early for you at that stage? So my first impression was I was very impressed. I got to meet Chelsea first, I think, outside of you. And I was like, this girl is so cool. And she would talk about all the stuff she'd already done. I'm like, they are so ahead of the game. Like, they're already doing all of these things. Like, why are you even talking to me? Like, Chelsea's got it on lock. Uh, I think the reason that I pushed back against joining the team earlier was because you hadn't raised money yet. And the velocity at which you were hiring was a little bit slower, which is totally cool. Um, But like for someone to come in and own that role full time, like you didn't necessarily need me. You didn't need the systems or any of the infrastructure that I would like my skill set lends itself to. And so when you started talking about raising external money and accelerating the pace at which the business was growing, thus necessitating more hires, or like, all right, I'm in, I got you. Like I can take whatever you've built on this beautiful foundation and ensure that we can scale that um, from 15 employees to 100. 
So it, for you, it was, it was really the, the velocity of hiring and the fact that, you know, if we're only going to add a role here and then wait four months and then another role, we don't need someone that's all the time focused on people operations, not just hiring and recruiting, but managing the team. So is there a, a magic number for anyone that's listening to start thinking about when they need to make that first full-time hire? I really wish I had a magic number. I think it's more of an art than a science. Um, I I think it's part, it depends on a lot of different factors in your business. So one is your current headcount. Um, you could have five people on your team, but be anticipating adding 500 the next year. And you might need to add someone now. You could have 30 people on your team and add five people the next year. And you might be good with someone like Chelsea who can have HR and people ops as part of their role, given that it's only a piece of what they do. So I mm-hmm. think it's taking a look at your business, how many people you have on the team, how many folks you may be adding, and then looking at your product, your employee base, the types of issues you're running into. Um, and that would determine when you need to hire someone and the type of person that you would hire and what their background should be. Chelsea, do you remember when I started talking about hiring Sasha and and what was your thought? Like, was there something that you were ready to get off your plate or what, what was it that you think tipped the scales that we needed her in a full-time capacity? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think I remember I, we were sitting down in the, the conference room in one of the first offices and we were just talking about culture and you were throwing out ideas like the donut app on Slack. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's genius. We need to do that. And you really understood how to interview someone. I'm with you, Chris. Like, I don't love interviewing people. I don't think I'm great at it. Sasha is. Like, she she had a track record of doing it. She had a really good network in the Valley. I didn't know anyone that worked in tech. And Sasha just had so many good things to bring to the table. So I was super excited for that. And my new best friend. So Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it was a like total hype Sasha session. I'm loving this. <laughs> Well, no, Sasha, I think you interviewed me harder than (laughs) anyone has ever interviewed me about the business. And I was like, I was like nervous talking to you as if you were an investor or something. And, and so I figured if you're going to interview me that hard, like you'd probably do a good job interviewing other people. So it was a, a good skill to have. Well, thank you. All right. So when you came in, what was strong here in terms of people ops? And what was weak or, or not yet established that uh, we really needed to focus on as we came into that 15, 20, 25 person phase? Yeah. So I, I joined in the fall of 2019. At the time, the trainual team was exclusively based in Phoenix, Arizona. We all came into the office every day. And I think something that Chris and Chelsea both did a great job of was curating a really tight knit team and a really clear vision for the culture they wanted for the, for the team. So you had six values already established with clear behaviors associated with them. You had a values award already established. So you were recognizing folks for living the way that you wanted them to operate. Um, again, you had some of the like, key systems in place for HR and payroll, 401k. Um, you are, had like a little baby ATS in place. You wanted to be able to scale up hiring. And then I think the thing that y'all did best was your events and like making people just genuinely love being at work and love spending time with their coworkers and having this foundation of trust with the team. So I, I walked into like a really good situation for all of those reasons. It was pretty cushy. It was cushy. very cushy. Yeah. I told people <laughs> that all the time, like cushiest gig I could have walked into. <laughs> so I, you mentioned the events. I know we talked about that, but 
is it a faux pas to like interview people at events? I'm curious, Marlo, you got to chime in, but I remember we like Nick, our videographer literally interviewed hiking a mountain with us. Like we, we invited him um, kind of uh, like he, he did not know what to expect and ended up on like, yeah. And not just a mountain camelback. Yeah. Hard mountain. (laughs) I know a lot of people listening probably aren't here. Don't know what that is, but it's like a, it is a hard, it's a grueling hike. Like you'd be very winded at the top and he was not a hiker. And so uh, he, he made it to the top of the mountain. We got him up there and, uh, and, and, Along the way, we were able to really un- like understand his personality, hear his stories, understand what he's into, his passion for video production, like the stuff that he had done in the past. And so it was this extended social interview that I think you can't really do at scale, but we did a lot of it in the early days. So good or bad, Marlo? I need to know. I would be so fit if I hiked a mountain every time I had to <laughs> That's what we should um, do. So at scale, I would say not the best practice. You really want that consistency. But I think at that stage, it, it obviously worked out. And here we here we are with Nick. So. Yeah. But, but I think we've been able to replicate, like looking for what motivates folks through different questions that we ask in the interview process and ensure that they're passionate about small business and the problem we're solving and passionate about the role and the team they'd be walking into, even if we're not like, gathering that information while hiking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so then Sasha, as you dug into what needed to be done, what were the areas that we were maybe weaker in that were underdeveloped? Yeah. So for me, I think it's really important to think about, um, fairness as you're constructing systems or processes, um, and, and you're scaling and not thinking about individual people. So one thing in particular was our compensation philosophy. Um, I know Chris is really passionate about rewarding people for the work that they're doing. And so I, the first day I walked in, I was like, all right, so talk to me how you think about compensation. He's like, well, like anytime someone's doing great, like let's give them some more money. And I was like, oh, in- interesting. I love that you love the team and you want to motivate them, but that gets a little tricky when some people may feel less comfortable bragging about their accomplishments or asking for more money and that can create disparities. And so I think that was the, one of the first projects I worked on. How do we systematize how we think about compensation? What is our compensation strategy? Building comp bands and properly leveling the team that we had to ensure that there was fairness and parity across the team, not just for the 15 of us then, but then as we've added 75 new folks to the team. I remember this, the slide deck you put together where it was like the, the gif of, uh, of Tim Allen in the Santa Claus walking down like the North pole. And you were like, no more Santa, Chris, like you can't just give out bonuses and like raises whenever you want to, we need to have a system for this. (laughs) So I appreciate that. What what else was a weaker Um, As we were getting ready to hire more talent, I think Chelsea talked about this, hiring exceptional people and skill sets that we didn't already have on the team. Um, We needed to pull from companies that had been there and done that or seen that next stage of growth. And they were typically Series A, B or C stage um, SaaS companies. And they typically were offering more robust benefits packages, slightly more compensation. And so it was evaluating our benefits offering and ensuring that if I got on a phone or got on the phone with a candidate, could I convince them to leave their job at a company that was maybe a couple stages ahead of us, but we were at least meeting their baseline expectations. So it was revamping our benefit offering and compensation bands. Um, and then you already had the foundation for 
career conversations and growth um, with the team. We called them 90-day check-ins at the time. And every 90 days, you talk to everyone on the team yourself and like, hey, how are things going? What could be better? How do you like your role? And so building on that to a more formal process, and that's been iterated many, many times over the last three years. Yeah, let's talk about that a little because I think that's one of the things that we did do pretty early. You know, like Chelsea, we had those when there was just four of us, maybe. I don't think it when it was just you, but when there were four of us, I'm pretty sure we were already doing those 90 day check ins, right? And so the the 90 day check in process was really simple. It was a PDF that if anybody's listening and really wants this, I'm happy to send you the old version, just like DM me on LinkedIn or something, and I'll send you the old version. Um, but it was a PDF that was kind of a self-assessment for people to rank one to five, their happiness in certain things. And it was like their the environment, the work environment, the, like, do they feel challenged with their job? Do they still see themselves here in the next couple of years? Do they feel like they're compensated fairly? And it was like these hot button issues that we wanted to consistently prompt people with to make sure that they were happy and to give them that space to to, to vent or to give feedback or to have a tough conversation. Um, because if you don't ask, a lot of people just won't bring those things up. And then when they leave and you find out in the exit interview that it was something that could have been avoided, you're kind of kicking yourself and you think, why, why couldn't we have solved this? So we had a version of this in place, but, but Sasha or, or Marlo, can you talk about how this has evolved? Yeah, I'll give a quick answer and then I'll let Marlo speak to some of the work that she's done more recently and taken it to a whole new level. Um, but we built on the 90 day check-ins and I would like plug this for any small business, like building a foundation, even if it's super small, like a PDF with a couple questions and whether that's for performance management or how you think about events, doing something small and setting the cultural expectation that this is part of our DNA is so important because the next step when I say, hey, we're going to formalize this in a fancy system and we're going to do this on a cadence every quarter and we're going to add this extra step, it's not so shocking. It's just an extra step and like the next like layer um, to whatever you're doing versus we've never done this before. 50 people get on board with this whole new performance management change. And so that, again, was so lucky walking into the foundation already set because we were able to roll out a system. We were able to roll out um, a specific cadence, not only for the 90-day check-ins and downward um, and upward performance management, but a self-reflection cycle um, and an engagement survey to solicit anonymous feedback a couple times per year. I was going to ask Marlo, like, what, what would you add in there and the, the evolution? Because you've seen this over a couple of years. Yeah. So I think from the beginning, I, I mean, I've, I've seen places that get to 50, 60 people and everything's on fire and they're, oh, we should have hired HR, right? So I think we did a really good job of setting the foundation of um, 30, 60, 90 is when you start really setting that expectation. And then, you know, and obviously the 90-day check-ins and some of the things that Sasha was mentioning with, um, with self-reflections and upward and downward feedback um, and also peer reviews. So for, for me in that evolution, it's it's really looking at how that ties to the hiring process and making sure that we are being really crystal clear on giving feedback so people know when they're winning and when they have an opportunity to change something so that they can win. And it's really hard, hard to do that early, right? Especially when you're still in a role where maybe you're the first one in the role and we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what success is going to look like in 12 months, where now with our process, we look at a role and we say, 
we generally know what this person needs to do when they get come in. We also have a good idea of what they need to be doing in six months, 12 months, and, and hopefully beyond to be successful, successful in that role. And our performance management will match that as well as our hiring process. Yeah, I think uh, what you're getting into a little bit is this the the performance management and the career path and career ladders. And I think that's been more formalized in the last couple of years. Um, but w- we didn't have any of that at the, the first 20 people or 40 people or whatever. It was sort of like, uh, what do you mean? career path like we just hired you for this job <laughs> you know like at the beginning you're 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 basically just you're living kind of a week at a time and a month at a time and you're not really thinking about people's long-term trajectory in the company it's like i'm thinking about how like like i just i just hired you and plugged that hole now what's the other hole i've got to go plug you know I, to have to come back and re like have a career discussion with this person is like what i can't even think about that so that's definitely something that we started doing as we got bigger as we had more resources so sasha how did the team evolve from you into a a larger team now can you talk through like wh- what is a a people operations department start to look like? And how did you subdivide the different hats that you were wearing? Yeah. Um, so I'll speak to what happened on the Tranual Pops team. But I think the most important thing, if you were the first person uh, on a Pops team, is evaluating your skill set and your strengths, not only what you're good at, but what you enjoy doing. And so I... I'm a little salesy. I love recruiting. I love trainual. I love being able to sell it and build relationships. And I could like recruit eight hours a day and still go home and work and be really happy. And so I wanted someone who could help me with building policies and answering benefits questions and things like I didn't love doing as much, but I, I could do, but I didn't necessarily want to. And so I brought in someone who like that was their skill set and they were phenomenal. They would help with onboarding behind the scenes and running that benefits questions, building policies. And then it reached a point where I could no longer handle the number of open roles we had. And so I started cross training her um, to be in talent acquisition. And so that would be my my one piece of feedback looking back. I wish I would have hired Marlo earlier because Marlo is incredible and has such a phenomenal background in talent acquisition. And if you're hiring um, at the velocity that we were, like 40 to 50 people a year, it's really hard to do that solo. And it's really hard to do that while training someone else. And so hiring someone who has done it before to support you, like when Marlo got fully ramped after her 90 days, that was the biggest weight off my shoulders, knowing like I had a partner who like crush it and bring in incredible people too. So um, she was, Marla was my second hire on the team when the velocity reached a point where I was, I was struggling a little bit. Okay. So there was the, like the, the, the benefits administration, the HR generalist kind of stuff. Then there was the re- recruiting and bringing new people in and helping onboard them. And then more recently, there's been uh, the, the culture and experience side of it, right? Can you talk about that a little? Yes, I think it's a little unique to Trainual that like part of our cultural DNA is time spent in person. But with COVID, we've decided to be a remote first team. And so we invest really heavily in both remote optimized and in-person quarterly events. We do an incredible week around the holidays, bringing the entire team in. And then we do a retreat offsite once a, a year as well. And then we do these phenomenal onboarding sessions in person at the office. And we put so much care into all of those experiences. So we have someone who their full-time role is onboarding new folks, 
handling all of the planning and execution for the retreat, for the, um, the parties, for the events. Um, she also owns diversity, equity, and inclusion and how that weaves into some of the events with our affinity groups and ensuring that everyone feels like they have a place at Trainual, regardless of how extroverted or how much they like parties. <laughs> um, that may, may not be a full-time role at every small business, but for us, we knew that that was super important for building relationships based in trust so we could operate really fast when we were actually working. Love it. Okay. So Marlo, you got sort of soft roped in, I think as well, kind of like I had uh, brought Sasha in. You uh, were talking with Sasha outside of the business or something. And so it, always be recruiting, right? Uh, and so we knew we needed some help bringing more people into the fold. Uh, when you came in, do you feel like you just hit the ground running right away looking for roles or what, what was your indoctrination into Trainual like? Oh, wow. It feels, it feels like that was so long ago. So, uh, yes and no. I think there were things that felt very familiar, which was, uh, you know, obviously the recruiting piece, right? Put me in a role, put me in coach. I am that person when it comes to talent acquisition. And I think we start to start to see very early success there. I think there were parts of the role, like the HR stuff and the, the generalist of benefits where it was like, okay, wait a minute. I need to answer people's actual benefits questions and I need to know what I'm talking about. That's a little difficult for me. So there were learning curves with that. But to Sasha's point, right, you you know where your strengths are and I knew where mine were. So we very early on plugged me into the recruiting and then had project work and time aside for me to learn the things that I, you know, maybe wasn't so well versed with. So uh, yeah, so I think I hit the ground running with certain areas and there were some that I still, uh, you know, benefits questions are still challenging for me because I don't do it every day. But uh, yeah, but it's been a bit an evolution for sure. So as a business is growing and, you know, hopefully you're starting to make a brand for yourself and uh, people are interested in actually working with your companies, what systems did we have in place or what would you suggest that people have in place to maintain a great recruiting process? Ooh, that's a great question. So we are, you know, we're on Lever. So Lever's our, our applicant tracking system. We obviously use Trainual for our need to knows and we'll send a Trainual to candidates to get to know more about the company, the values, which is really special. Uh, and then we use Loom for candidate communication. So I think between those three, three tools, they've been really beneficial for our process, which is very intentional. I think when you look at building a recruiting process, if you can get an applicant tracking system early on, it will monetize tenfold, right? So I always say that your hiring process should match the type of company you're trying to be. There's nothing wrong with when it's really early stage. It's maybe your first few hires, you're meeting at a coffee shop, you're figuring it out and that's okay. But if you want to be best in class or you want to scale really effectively, you'll need a system to help you do that. So I think if you can invest in that, uh, definitely do it. It'll, it'll help not only get your ducks in a row internally as you're hiring, but it will also provide a much better candidate experience because there's nothing worse than candidates that don't know what's going on or they don't have a timeline provided. So it's really important to uh, to have an applicant tracking system if you're going to be doing a significant amount of hiring. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. And that's why we actually had one. I think Chelsea mentioned it earlier. We had a very basic one when we had three or four or five people because even those initial interviews, I just found it so helpful to have a place to write down all my notes, to move someone through the stages of a hiring process, to understand all the candidates that I was like sourcing from LinkedIn or wherever, and just to keep that organized. And you can do that in a project management system, maybe, but there's systems that are designed specifically for that purpose that maybe you only even pay per role that you have open. Like there's, there's a really easy way to get your foot in the door with some of the, the more SMB tools. Um, so I definitely recommend so that, that people check those out. Um, you mentioned candidate communication, which is something you are exceptional at to the point that people that you like reject working here are still like super fans and follow along with what we do. So um, blanket question, but how the heck do you do that? <laughs> couple things. First of all, put yourself in the candidate's shoes. We've all been in a position where we want that job. We're really excited about it. Or unfortunately, maybe we've been laid off and we don't know where our next paycheck is going to come from. That's stressful. And you're putting yourself out there to get the job. It is a courtesy and it should be a norm that recruiters are also being on top of that timeline. Unfortunately, that's not the case. I've had friends apply or get three interviews in and I, I never heard back. And I ghost it. Right. And I yeah. think about that and it's bad enough in the dating world. We don't need to date. We don't need to ghost people in the recruiting <laughs> world. Right. So Full circle. back to dating. See, I told <laughs> it's you it's the same. It's the same. <laughs> no, but, uh, so I look at that and I think, okay, if I were a candidate, what type of experience is, is important for me, but really what type of company are you? And when I look at trainual, uh, first of all, systems processes, that's what we do. We have it together. Right. So it's really hard for me to look at what we represent as a company and then have a sloppy recruiting process where I'm not getting back to anybody, that doesn't make sense. So it's really important for me from a values perspective to match the type of company we are with our recruiting process. And then you just never know when somebody is going to be a candidate again. I, I like to tell people this, even in the rejection phase, it's not this role right now only. It is, let's get to know each other. Let's build a relationship. I'm a fan of you. You're a fan of Trinual. It's awesome. The right thing may come along at the right time. And then perhaps I circle back six months later, the, the right thing opens up. If I would have ghosted you, I probably wouldn't have you as a candidate, right? So really right. thinking about that long-term relationship. That's so true. And it's like, you know, a, a customer doesn't just see an ad and buy immediately. Like sometimes it takes some getting to know the brand over a long time before they buy. And I think it's the same with the recruiting process, both from the company standpoint and the candidate standpoint. Sometimes you get to know each other and you realize we really like what you're all about. We think you could be great here, but we don't have, this isn't the perfect role for you. So let's keep in touch. One of the things I think we do a good job with too, is we have that future roles uh, post that's always up. I'm curious, like how, or could you talk a little bit about that? Just what it is, how we use it and how we kind of, uh, market new roles to our pool of existing candidates? Absolutely. So this comes back to having an ATS or an applicant tracking system. Uh, this is very hard to do if you don't have that. So we do keep an open role all the time for future future openings, right? So maybe you're interested in trainual. We're not hiring for what you do right now, but perhaps we will be, right? So people will apply, they get added to that bucket. And when I kick off a role, I look in the future applicants first and I see, okay, Who's here? Who's excited about Troy Neal? Maybe it wasn't the right time then. Are they looking now? And you can obviously set really, really nice e email triggers to send uh, send emails to those folks to let them know what, what jobs are opening or when you post a new role. 
or uh, you know, go ahead and connect with them. So that way, when I do post a role on my LinkedIn, those people probably follow me, right? So it's it's really building that visibility, which is really nice. And you never know. Again, just because a role is not open, you're missing an entire chunk of people that could be really incredible fits for the company. Or maybe they jog your memory and you see a role coming in that, oh, I, I've been talking to Sasha about that. I, I know we're going to be looking for that in the next few months here. Let's have a conversation and let's see if there's alignment. So it's really good with keeping you on your toes and thinking forward. Yeah. Yeah. And we've also over the years hired a handful of people that were just like, I don't know, we'll figure out what you're going to do here, but like, you're awesome and you need to be on, <laughs> on this, this train. So I think there's something to be said there too, that, you know, if you are always, always have your mind open and your eyes open for exceptional people, um, sometimes you can hit the lottery and, you know, that's, that's sort of what happened. I think when, when we found each of you to some extent is like, we had our eyes open, we were having meetings, we weren't necessarily expecting to hire that role, but we did maybe prematurely because we saw something in each of you. And I think that's a, a, a tip for everyone that's listening is to, you know, keep your eyes open when you're in a store or you're in, you know, the, uh, there's a cashier at, at Starbucks or whatever that you think, Wow, this person is awesome. Like maybe they could be great in my business. You you always have to think about recruiting. Um, all right, that said, I'm curious, any final tips from each of you? Anything else that you think we've done well that somebody else could snag as a little tactic for their business in any order? It's less tactical. Um but I would just plug how lovely it's been working at Trainual with a team that is fully aligned on the importance of building a people first business and like Chris having your full buy-in on everything that we're doing. So like it doesn't really matter what your comp strategy is or what your performance management philosophy is, but having the alignment and the backing both from a financial standpoint, I always say emotional, like the emotional support from Chris, but like you're fully bought in and support what we're doing. And that's felt throughout the entire organization. I think that is so pivotal to like your HR people team being successful. So it doesn't feel like a supportive or an admin function. And it truly feels like a partner to all the other departments and your leadership team. Yeah. I remember you talking about that with me when you first joined and it, it was a very important conversation to say, no, this is like a seat at the leadership team because we value this to at that level. This is not just like a, a side function that is like a, a support role for the business. This is a strategic function in the business. I would say our emphasis on onboarding, I think we've always done I mean, I did a decent job of onboarding. I, I remember the day Sasha great. started. I you think we great. had, what, six people start with you. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm onboarding our head of people ops. Um, but I think we've really refined that over the years. And the amount of feedback we get from the team on how incredible of an experience that is, we really get people into trainual, literally into the product, but also they get to meet all of the different departments, all of the different people in the team. They learn a ton about our culture, a ton about the business. And I think that means a lot because that just sticks with them the rest of their tenure there. 
Yeah. It, the onboarding process is like your your chance to either confirm that people made the right decision when they accepted the job or to scare people the heck away and make them go home and say, what have I done? It's like, it is so crucial that you invest the time to get that right. And when I, when I'm, whenever I'm out speaking, I always talk about the orientation process and how crucial that moment is those first couple days. And so I know we've got a ton of great content on our website about that for anyone that's interested, but your orientation is definitely one of the first things you should start with. Marlo, anything else? Yeah, so I'll take a recruiting lens on this one. Uh, you know, be authentic with your brand. Your employment brand is a side effect of everything you've been doing. So if you want to hire incredible people, it's not just making an incredible job posting. It's all of the things that you've been doing and the culture you've created and how that shows in the market. So I think, you know, you, you have to look at it this way. Candidates are making just as big of a decision as we are, right? This is their life and it's, it's our company and we're protecting both of those. So everything you do will trickle into how candidates see your company and if they want to work there and if they want to stay. Yeah, great point. Relatively, it is a bigger decision for the candidate than it is for the company. You know, like as a company, we have a lot of people. And if someone doesn't work out, we post a job, we find another person. But for that person, this could be their entire household income. It could be their career path. It could set them on a trajectory that alters their next decade. And that is a really serious decision. And so that's why I really believe in this people first approach and the culture that we've created. So I have all of you to thank for, you know, furthering and deepening the the commitment that we have to the the people first thing. And I appreciate all of you being here to share your your stages from from owner to operator to people operator to people operations team. Uh, it's been a really cool journey so far. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right, everyone else, uh, like you saw, we got a great listener question about how startups should think about HR and people operations. And this is the type of content that I love doing that I'd love to provide for you in the future. So if you have questions about scaling, growing, systematizing your business, I want to hear about it. Let me know. Let's connect on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on Instagram, uh, wherever you hang out. I'm probably there. So search for me, Chris Ronzio. Uh, I'd love to connect with you. And in the meantime, check out all the other episodes episodes and great content that we have here on Organized Chaos. We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.